Eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. What's good, y'all, and welcome to In the Deep, a deep league-focused fantasy baseball podcast, part of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. My name is Jordan White, and I'm joined here once again by my good friend and co-host, Christopher Schwebzy Weber. Schwebzy, how you doing this week, buddy? Hi, friends. Uh, it, it's been a week of highs and lows. Week, what you could say. I mean, there there have been some highs. Uh, as being a general nerd and dork, I've been really enjoying the uh, Diablo Four release, and. Uh, into the spider-verse was incredible i've yet to see it i'm very excited to go see it. i'm probably Dude. gonna see it on sunday night i think um but yes i'm amped i'm honestly in awe it's like a lot of a lot of the reviews are like every frame is a work of art and you're like that's hyperbole and then you like go see the movie and it's just jaw-dropping like every artist on that movie deserves to win all of the awards it's just absolutely incredible awe-inspiring stuff but uh, then there's the, the the bad kind of jaw dropping and awe inspiring, and that it, that uh, I just got to watch three days of Mets slow motion car crash collapsing. Oh my god, I'm having such a bad time right now. It's like there's Into the Spider Verse, which is great, but then there's also the Terrors, which is having to watch the Mets lose to Atlanta three straight games. Like I think. I saw, I believe it was, it might have been Sarah Langs or someone else, but I feel like the Mets had like an 80% or greater win probability in every single one of those games and ended up losing. Like we watched last night's game. We're recording this on Friday in the middle of the day. Once again, recording in the sunlight, which is a weird thing. That's two weeks in a row. Uh, But you and I watching the game together last night and I just got to watch you break down in real time and essentially predict that it was going to happen. Um, you did not call the Travis Darno uh, walk off, unfortunately, but you did. You did call a uh, an Atlanta win, uh, and that was pretty rough. There was some pretty rough umpiring in general in that game too. Like the home plate umpire did not make the best strike and ball calls at the end of the oh, game. Oh yeah, there. like on a full count, Marcelo Zuna took a pitch like a good few inches off of the plate for strike three. And that was like, cool, great. Love when the ump is on my side. Yes. And then Orlando Arcia in the very next plate appearance got like five whole strikes before hitting a home run. Correct. Yes. He had two he had two strikes on him and then took a curveball right on the corner for a ball. And then the next pitch a check swing. Check swung yeah. that he went around on and they called another ball and then he hit a home run. So uh, it's just painful. So so painful painful being a Mets fan uh but you know what new series now going into the weekend so it's time to reset for you uh who do- they're about to get shut out by Mitch Keller oh well, I mean Mitch Keller didn't look great in his last start he only I mean like after Mitch Keller had struck out what it was like at least eight batters in like five straight starts 
He had no, one strikeout in his last start. What's going to be funny about this series is that Rich Hill is going to blank the Mets while our $80 million pair of 40-year-old aces probably uh, are, are have like a combined like four-plus ERA. Well, Verlander won't pitch this weekend, will he? Because he was pitched last I night. Uh, I, I think both of them are going to miss the, the Pittsburgh series, but it's just going to be funny seeing uh, the 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 best 40 40 year old pitcher in baseball pitch against the Mets. <laughs> I do love Rich Hill. I love me some Rich Hill. Uh but yes, I I am going to go see Spider-Verse on Sunday, so I will get to uh, share that joy with you at some point. We'll have to talk about that um off air and I mean, yes, uh in general, I'm just constantly in awe of the artists that do that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Crap. Uh it's pretty incredible. Um I'm going to have to bleep that. <laughs> but uh, I'm very excited to go see that. I've been looking forward to it all week, going to see it with my old roommate, who I see all the Marvel slash just superhero movies with. So should be a very good time. Uh, I, think, I think I'm going to see it again at some point. You should you should come to Milwaukee. I can get us free tickets. It'll be worth like the, I don't know, like $400 plane ticket to get here. Oh, heck, heck yeah. Cool. Worth. Awesome. Perfect. All right. Enough fun little uh, animation talk. Let's talk about some deep league players here. Schwebzy. Let's have you lead it off this week and talk about Jesus Sanchez. Yes. I feel like every episode I'm talking about another former prospect that kind of stumbled last year and had their stock fall in between 2022 and 23. But uh, like a third of the way through the season, it kind of feels like that's going to be one of the the more fun league-wide stories all year long, along with the wild influx of talented young rookie pitchers and the return of the stolen base uh at, just to re- refresh everybody who may have forgotten about sanchez he was the marlins number four prospect back in 2020 after he, he reached double a as a 20 year old and he got traded to the mariner uh the marlins from the rays and he, actually for for uh current braves reliever uh, nick anderson oh wow uh, he yeah I, I didn't actually didn't even remember that until I started looking at him for this. So he got as high as number 80 overall on MLB's pipeline prospect list. Uh, Fangraphs had tabbed him with a 70 raw power grade and kind of uh, if he hit tool and then strong running skills, strong defense, uh, like a, a above average major leaguer, 50 grades. And, uh, he started his career with a very promising but but flawed rookie year where he hit 14 home runs and only 251 plate appearances along with an above league average batting average at at 251 uh that that was above league average at that point and that that doesn't kill you in fantasy leagues so it was a decent batting average plenty of power he showed borderline elite max exit velo and while the k rate was alarming his zone contact rates and chase rates were okay enough that it didn't really look like his K rate would get too much worse. And that all led to him having a 230 ADP coming into last season, making him pretty much universally rostered, especially in any league with more than three outfielders. Then, however, uh, last year happened. He lost 37 points off of his batting average. He hit one fewer home run in an extra he got he got a hundred extra plate appearances and hit fewer home runs. He lost fifty points off his isolated slugging and generally was disappointing. 
probably the most alarming thing is that against lefties, he struck out 24 times in 55 plate appearances. Good for a, or bad for a 43.6% strikeout rate. And that was in uh, stark contrast to his 23.6% strikeout rate against righties. And that's one of those things that you see and you start to wonder, oh no, is this going to be a platoon situation? And that, that, concern, that concern wasn't really there in his rookie year. He pretty much had identical WRC pluses against lefties and righties. And that, uh, that underwhelming sophomore campaign led to a 419 ADP in NFC leagues this year, which is a pretty huge drop, almost 200 spots. And that brings us to what he's done so far this year. Uh, Jesus Sanchez started the year in the doghouse. He only got starts in eight of the team's first 24 games, which made him pretty much unrosterable at the start of the year. Since the calendar flipped to May, however, all he's done is hit 370 with a 404 OBP and a 759 slug with five home runs and only 57 plate appearances. Now, the number of plate appearances is low, but that's due to a minor injury that left him on the IL for a minimum stay. So at this point, he has started 12 of the last 14 games that he's been healthy for, and he's hit three, four, or five in all but one of those games. So he's on fire. The Marlins are giving him an opportunity, and that, I mean, that's two things that we love from a fantasy perspective. The question for us now is how is he succeeding and is it sustainable? And the answer is kind of complicated. He's doing a lot of things really well, and these are he's he's doing things well that generally leads to success, but he's also getting lucky on top of that, which we you do see with a lot of breakouts. He's running a, a casual 381 Babip and a 42.9% home run to fly ball rate. That is so high. That is incredibly high. <laughs> Nearly every other fly ball he hits has gone over the fence. It's, it's absurd. Uh, and those are two numbers that when I see numbers like that, I, I normally see those and I hear the sound of rapidly approaching regression. But I don't really think it's so simple in this case. And I, I love players like this because there's some good stuff. There's some bad stuff. And then there's some genuinely weird stuff. We, we love the weird stuff here on In the Deep. Jordan, am I right? We love the weird stuff? Yes. Love the weird stuff. <laughs> now, for, for the good stuff, Jesus Sanchez is giving me a little bit of a Jorge Soler light deja vu because he's obliterating fastballs so far this year. He's got an ex-woba of 509 on four seamers, which puts him around the Bryce Harpers, the Freddie Freemans of the world. But from a run value perspective, which is cumulative, he's produced the sixth most value in baseball against four seamers, while only seeing 178 of them so far this year. That's at least 50 fewer than everyone above him on the leaderboard. You could argue that he has been the best hitter in the league against four seamers this year. I don't think would, on top of oh sorry, I don't think that would be far off at all. I think I think that's probably a fair argument. Yeah, I mean, you you can never just extrapolate because that's sure. bad analysis yeah. but you know like on a per pitch basis he's right there mm -hmm. and on top of destroying fastballs his numbers against breaking pitches aren't great but his x stats are 
so you could argue he's gotten unlucky there. The encouraging thing about his breaking ball production to me is that he's continuing a three-year downward trend in whiff rate against breakers, while also continuing a three-year upward trend in exit velocity against breakers. So he's missing them less often, and he's hitting them harder than ever. And that's a combination that you love to see. Overall, his, uh, his chase rate and his whiff rates are at career lows, while his swing percentage and hard hit rates are at career highs. So he is being aggressive. He's not a big walker. He's an aggressive hitter. But he's being aggressive on pitches he can handle and do good things with. Now, I mentioned some genuinely weird stuff. And if you like weird baseball shenanigans, this, this bit is for you. At the moment, Jesus Sanchez is hitting the ball to the opposite field 35% of the time. That might not sound like a high number, but that's 94th percentile in baseball. Only like a handful of hitters are hitting the ball oppo more often than him. And this is a power hitter we're talking about generally. And normally, I, I hate when power hitters go oppo, but would you believe that when Jesus Sanchez goes oppo, his OPS is 1870. 1870. If you pull up his spray chart of where his hits go, it looks like a righty. He, he's a lefty, and almost all of his hits are to the opposite field. It's so weird. It's honestly, his hit distribution is probably the weirdest one I've ever seen. Meanwhile, historically, he's been stronger to his pull side, like a lot of power hitters. This year, he's got a 47 WRC+. Plus and a 167 BABIP when he pulls the ball. That's like a 47 WRC plus when he pulls the ball means that he's like he's like Tomas Nito when he pulls the ball and Barry Bonds when he hits it to the opposite field. It's so weird. You'd never see this. When, when he goes oppo, he's got a 619 BABIP. Which it's so odd. Is, it doesn't really make all It's unsustainable. Sense it's unsustainable that cannot continue but a lot of this is is weird and i don't think sustainable but anyway i digress uh he's also got a career low fly ball rate which again we hate for power hitters like he's making up for it though with a sky high barrel rate we we mentioned earlier that he's got that really high home run per fly ball Mm -hmm. That's because he's not hitting many fly balls, but when he does, they're at optimal angles. Now, again, is that sustainable? Not to this degree, but I do expect him to hit more fly balls as the season goes along. I, the, the thing that I don't know that I want to try to figure out about him is, is what he's currently doing an approach change or just like a small sample size weirdness kind of thing because i i cannot stress enough how weird what he's doing is <sighs> now yeah like you, you don't usually see big barrel rates on big ground ball guys that's like maybe like juan soto does that and not many other players i can think of mm-hmm. now i could really i i could go on and on about what he's done so far this year because it's good and it's fun and it's weird and but i i cannot do a full 60 minutes on just jesus sanchez so i i kind of need to wrap this up at some point but 
at the end of the day, I think he's doing a lot of weird, unsustainable things, but he's also doing a lot of good things that are sustainable and more normal. I I think this shows up because his X stats are basically mirrors of his actual stats. I, I think he's going to have a lot of things regressing towards more normal distributions in opposite directions. And the hope is that it will leave his production good. You know, like I think, I think some of the bad things will regress towards the positive side and some of the good things will regress towards the negative side. My one concern here is playing time because at some point, obviously El Garcia is going to be healthy and the Marlins could continue sitting him against lefties. They did sit him, uh, sorry, they did start him in their last game against the lefty. So at the moment, you know, at, at this point in time, I'm fully on board the Jesus Sanchez bandwagon. And honestly, I kind of hope he stays weird. I mean, weird players like, are way more fun I, to analyze, right? Like this, this is the stuff that we look, we see someone doing well and we expect to see a lot of times when we look at players, we see the exact same thing or like many, many similar things over and over again. And then you get a page like this every once in a while where it's like, what the hell is happening? I want him to I want him to hit 600 going the opposite way all year long. I want him to continue being just absolutely goof troop, just weird. Hang on, do I still have this pulled up? Yes. All right, so right now, Jesus Sanchez, when he goes oppo, is hitting 652. (laughs) That's not real. That's no. The next highest in baseball is JD Davis at 615. Also weird. And then someone else we kind of like too. Yeah. And then after that is Harold Ramirez at 571 and Lars Nupar at 560. This is a lot of my guys. Well, apparently, apparently my guys, yeah, my type is my type is guys who hit over 500 to the opposite field, apparently. My type is weird little freaks. Weird little <laughs> opposite field freaks. In the deep where we analyze these, just these weird little baseball just guys. Weird little baseball guys, and that's it. I do like this. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's sustainable for sure. And this, this is different from every other year in his career, you said pretty much yeah yeah he was a more of a standard power hitter in his rookie year i'm trying to think if there's like if there is a swing change where his bat path is different or if it's just like they're pitching him away a lot and that's why it's happening and he's just going with it more than trying to get get around on it and pull it like i obviously this is all speculation i have no clue what's happening here right like there there may be like a relationship between his success against fastballs and his success going the opposite way. Yeah. It might be that he's sitting off speed and reacting fastball and just slashing it the opposite way. Cause he's, you know, a little late on the fastballs, but like in a good way, maybe, maybe that's what's going on, but it's, it's just, it's so weird. It's just weird. Yeah. I've said that word a dozen times because it, it is just a goofy little guy. You love it. You love to see love it. To see it. All right. I love it, Schwabs. Uh It's a good call out, and I think like power, a power bat of this variety is pretty hard to come by on the waiver wire. So yeah, I'm happy. Like obviously things might normal, quote unquote, normalize as much as they can for someone with such a weird profile. Um, but outfield is somewhere where I personally need help. So if he is available in any of my leagues, I'm definitely going to be taking a peek. So I dig that. Yeah, and one of the things that I expect to see change. Like in his previous two seasons, 
the majority of his home runs were to like right center, right field, his pull side. Whereas this year he has one home run to his pull side, like three to center field, two to the opposite field, and then one absolute tank off of Bryce Elder, which makes me happy. But <laughs> it it shows that he still has that mammoth power to his pull side. He's just not doing that right now, and that's still part of his skill set. So I'm I'm hoping he can get to some more of that and be kind of like a 260-plus 30-home-run guy. Well, yeah, and like even if he isn't getting that pull-side power, he's still taking people deep. Like, Yeah, and yeah, maybe not 30 home runs at this point, but like for the rest of the year, maybe another 20. Yeah, I, I, can, I, can, I can hope. Exactly, yeah. I mean, he's got home runs in his last two games. Been looking very good as of late, especially. I mean, three in, three in the last week. So he's definitely on a heater. Um, love it. Yeah, this is a good call. All right. We're going to take a quick ad break, and then right after that, I'll go into my deep dive. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization, so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Most weight loss programs are short-term fixes, but the problem is managing your weight needs a long-term solution. And that's what makes Noom different. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight today and in the future. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain, and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, and we are back. So I'm talking about someone, I mean, it's very standard for me to uh, talk about Milwaukee Brewers and I'm being a massive homer once again. As always, I'm talking about someone that I actually talked about on the very first, like, quote unquote, real regular season episode we did, and that's Joey Weimer. So I'm going to be completely upfront and honest with you, our beloved listeners, about this. I dropped Joey Weimer like two fab periods ago because I wanted to stream Jared Schuster and TGFBI. Uh, and I had plans on picking him back up, but if I'm being completely honest, I fell asleep after I got home from work on Sunday night, just completely missed fab, so I didn't get to do it. I've uh, been kind of lacking lately. Uh, so now I'm going to have to simply uh, dream or have nightmares about what could have been, considering he's been on like 
a heater basically since I dropped him. Um, he's and for that we thank you. Oh, God, and you know what? I, hey, I, you know what? You I know have, what? I'm, deep breath. You know, I'm happy to help. I'm, I have Weimer in a couple of leagues, so I am very thankful for Jordan having dropped him. I'm glad for me telling you about him in the first place too. I'm sure. He, he, he. Uh, but no, he's on this killer hot streak right now. He's ranking as like one of the most valuable fantasy hitters over the past two weeks. He's alongside names like Corey Seager, Ronald Acuna Jr., and Freddie Freeman. He's got an OPS over 1,000. He's racking up counting stats like a five-tool freak that we saw in the Brewers minor league system in the past few years. Like It's very exciting to see him kind of performing at what we can expect his ceiling to be. And I think that's really important to note is that this feels like his top end. It's not going to be what he is all the time, but it's still exciting that he's showing flashes of it. Um, his prospect grades uh, being what they were, like he had 70 raw power, 70 speed, 35 future hit tool, like not very good. Um, mostly, I think that was mostly centered around complaints of like how loud or complex his like setup and swing were. Um, it all just feels and looks very disjointed, but for some, for some reason, when he does make contact with the ball, it works. Um, because of all that combined, it felt like he was destined to be like a th- three true outcomes guy, striking out a whole bunch, walking at an above average rate, and then hitting just a buttload of tanks while carrying like a really suspect batting average. And it feels like really lazy analysis to do this comparison because it feels like any guy that is like this, we compare it to this player, but it's it feels like Joey Gallo. Like an athletic freak who can like hit the ball really, really hard and is going to walk a decent amount, but then also strike out a whole bunch. Uh, and honestly, that's pretty much exactly what his profile seems to be shaking out as so far. Uh, I, I, did, I noted the OPS before, but in the past couple of weeks, he's done nothing but rake. He's got three home runs, 17 runs plus RBIs, and four stolen bases. Uh, he's in, also in the midst of a nine-game hitting streak right now. Uh, his batting average went from 200 to 231 during that time. Uh, so yeah, he was sitting right at the Mendoza line for a bit. It was not exciting to have him on your rosters. This is part of the reason why I dropped him in the first place to stream Schuster, because I figured I could maybe get him back for cheap or free. Uh, but then he obviously had quite a week and cost a little bit more. So um, now to me, it's obvious he's not going to be the guy who slashes 340, 410, 660 or whatever he's done over the past few weeks. But there are indicators that support the fact that this isn't just luck for Weimer and that that power speed should continue to play up over the rest of the season. So first, I want to talk about the batted ball data. If you look at the rolling charts on Baseball Savant for his hard hit rate, his just general exit velocities, launch angle, all three of those things are trending upwards in a good direction during this stretch. So he's lifting the ball more, he's hitting it harder with more frequency, everything in that area looks really, really good. So we combine that also with improvements in plate discipline during the same stretch. So he's decreased his swinging strike rate by like 6%. His O swing has gone down. He's increased his zone contact rate. Like all of that is going in the right direction as well. That means he's also reined in his walk and strikeout rates during this time too. So he's like right around league average for strikeout rates and his walk rate is closer to like that double digit total that we're looking for from a guy like this. Um, the biggest knock that I had on Weimer earlier in the season was that he was struggling so, so, so much against right-handed pitching. And when you struggle against the strong side platoon, it's going to be pretty tough for you to be like a really genuine contributor on a fantasy squad. Um, his play discipline numbers were pretty bad 
uh, leading up to this stretch, but over the past couple of weeks, he's been really, really good. He's hitting 281. His strikeout rate dropped down to right around like 22%, which again is about league average. Uh, and his chase rate also went down an immense amount against righties during that time. He's still striking out a decent amount, but the chase rate has gone down a bit, so he is seeing the ball a bit better as well. Um, I think probably the most encouraging thing about Weimer is that there's been a lot of squads, like a lot of fantasy teams, mine included, Schwebzies included, that have been struck by injury woes. That's been the Milwaukee Brewers, too, so far this year. They have so many injuries on that squad. Weimer has been one of the only constants on that team. He's played in 60 of 63 games so far this year for the Brewers, uh, mostly playing really exceptional center field defense in the stead of Garrett Mitchell after he ended his season with a shoulder injury. Um, he's going to have the consistent plate appearances that you want out of like a deep league guy, like a fifth outfielder. And again, being so tooled up, those counting stats are going to come naturally as the season rolls along if he gets that playing time. Uh, Right now, he's like on pace to be a 2020 guy. And this is someone who I was just looking at this ADP wise. I got to find it. He went at the highest during draft season. He went pick 390. That was, that was, that was the highest he went. And in most leagues, especially early drafts, he was undrafted. Um, ADP was, let's see here, if you count the entire draft season, 724. Which is pretty crazy to think about. Uh, yeah. So for a guy like this... I don't this, think anyone, like, I don't think anyone would have projected 550 plate appearances for him this no, year. No, and that's the thing, is, like, playing time is super, like, we don't know who's going to get injured, we don't know who's going to end up slotting in and taking over roles and things like that. So if you had your eye on Weimer as someone, but it was more so when you found out that he was going to get called up and be on the on the big league squad uh shortly after the season started like obviously if you kept an eye on that then you maybe were able to snag him and get that value but very 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 few people were drafting joey weimer in draft season so if you did that hey good on you like fantastic um this is a dude who's super tooled up again on pace to put up probably a 2020 season um if you're in an nl only league or a 15 team league with like five outfielders much like tgfbi I'm enamored with someone like this for the rest of the season. Uh, I don't think he's really going to be challenged for those center field reps, obviously, with Garrett Mitchell out for the season. Uh, Tyrone Taylor back on the IL, so that secures his playing time even further. Um, I'm super bummed that I let him go right before his hot streak, but um, I would definitely take a chance on him in those types of leagues again. I, I love that you get to use the podcast as a sort of catharsis. Oh, that's lit. Yeah, to, to, it's, it's, to make yourself feel better about dropping it's, him. It's it's very much catharsis for me at this point. I feel very bad about. It. I do I st- I do still have him in an auto new league, so I'm not like completely shut out of having Joey Weimer on any of my squads. But is it a bummer? Yes. If I mean, if it makes you feel any better, I I have him in two leagues, mostly thanks to you. I just think about our our, our tens of listeners out there. <laughs> will now pick up Joey Weimer and then reap the benefits while I sit here weeping into my into my hands as my TGFBI team continues to plummet like a rock out of the sky. For what it's worth, I I don't love the Joey Gallo comparison. Like I get I get where you're coming from with it, but from a fantasy perspective, I think Weimer has like quite a bit more upside than than Gallo. Well, definitely more stolen bases. 
for sure. Not even that. He's got he's got better bat to ball skills now as a as a rookie with a questionable hit tool than Gallo ever had. Like his contact rate, his zone contact rate is like seven percent higher than Gallo's ever was. Is it really? I didn't realize that Gallo's were like quite that low. Like I knew that they were bad. Yeah, like Gallo like peaked at like 70% when I think league average is around 82. Yes. Weimer during this stretch I think is at like 77 or something like that. Well, that that's what he's at for the season. I imagine he's higher in the last couple oh, of weeks. Oh, maybe he's like 82 or something like that. I got to look at this again. I had this written yeah, down like, somewhere, but I can't find it. Anyways. And also, I don't I don't think Weimer will ever be quite the uh walk savant that no. Uh, that Gallo no, was like Gallo was just because he like, chases too much. Gallo was walking at like twenty something percent, right? And you know, going back to like the whole fantasy value thing, Weimer might steal as many bases this year as Gallo has in his career, which is like twenty nine. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say that Weimer could potentially. If I mean, this is an incredibly aggressive prediction, obviously, but like Weimer. Could you try again? Shut up. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, this is what I get for wearing my Apple Watch during the podcast, which I never do. Um, but yeah, I think that he could be like a 25-25 bat moving forward. I think the tools are there at least, and like the playing time is still there. I think he, I think he could get there. Um, again, he needs to like start hitting against righties. Because he mashes yeah. lefties like over the stretch, like he's hitting lefties at a great rate so far this year, and then even over the stretch, he's hitting 500 against left-handed pitching. Like he's awesome against lefties. Um, but if he's just if he becomes a serviceable hitter against right-handed pitching, he could genuinely be a problem. So yeah, I mean, you you love a potential five-tool contributor. Yeah. So, uh, all right. That's going to be it for Joey Weimer. Uh, we're going to go to our league-wide roundup right after the second ad break. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back. So, Schwabzi, let's do this league-wide roundup. Let's start with the NL East, uh, starting with Atlanta. I'm going to talk about Eddie Rosario was the only name that I really found super interesting. Um, Eddie Rosario is a streaky hitter, and this is a really streaky one to chase. His K, K rates, his chase rates, his walk rates have all been leaving something to be desired so far this season. Like, you look at his Savant page, it's not ideal. That said, the offensive composition of this team is one of the best in the league, and they should provide plenty of counting stats. Like, he's got 16 runs plus RBIs over his last 15 games played. Um, 
has looked really, really good as of late. Um, he is going to probably drag down your batting average. He's not going to get on base that much. Um, so this is mostly going to be a counting stats one. So that's kind of where I'm at with Eddie Rosario. Um, then moving to my fun fact. Oh, go ahead. Fun fact, Eddie Rosario has put up his career high in max exit velo this year by two miles an hour. Ooh. Okay. I don't think I don't think it means much in this context. It's just sure. yeah. wild given given how how productive of a hitter he's been in his career. He's never really been a big top end power guy. Mm-mm. He's gotten to like decent, like consistent hard hits. Uh like his bucket of ball. Like you look at the buckets of where he's how hard he's hitting his balls in certain areas and like they're all pretty tightly grouped in like the 105 100 105 range so he's hitting the ball hard but like you said the top end stuff hasn't been there and i guess until this year um all right let's go to miami uh and yuli guriel yeah nothing fancy here uh we we talk every week about luis garcia over in washington yep yuli guriel is kind of like him except uh, the counting stats are going to depend on his teammates who are mostly not very good and uh yeah, it's it's volume and batting average. I I think as a first baseman, I I think you've got to be pretty desperate at corner infield to to be rostering Guriel at this point. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Miami's hot, so he might be worth rostering during this hot streak. But even I I think he had an O for O for yesterday that like we 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 looked at his numbers on Thursday and then Friday. And he dropped about a hundred spots in like the the weekly rankings or the the two week rankings in just that one day by putting up an over. He's just so dependent on that batting average. Yeah, pretty much a batting average buoy. If he isn't providing that, don't roster him. Um, all right, it's weird. Like you, like Arias and Guriel, you would think batting at the top of that order with like the four or five strong hitters that they have, that they would actually get some counting stats. But Arias and Guriel just get nothing as far as runs in RBI. Yeah. It's weird. Pretty bad. I mean, Arias had like one good game in the past week where he had like five hits, five RBI, but that's that's it. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Not really a lot to be seen there in terms of counting set upside, but let's go to New York and the Mets. Schwebzy, let's talk about one of your beloved Mets, Tommy Pham. You know, it's funny. I was looking at the Mets overall and... Tommy Pham is basically the only guy on the team other than Francisco Alvarez who is outperforming their preseason projections. Yeah. I and I like did I, I I did say earlier this year that I thought Tommy Pham was like a sneaky good option. You did, but he wasn't playing. He was not playing, no. He's he's got a he's been healthy all year long and he's got 119 plate appearances. But there is a Pete Alonso IL stint looming. Alonso uh, got hit in the hand by a pitch by Charlie Morton and looks to be heading to the IL. And that makes Pham suddenly interesting. He's put up some good numbers this year in spite of being wildly unlucky. And frankly, at the plate, he's been the Mets' second best outfielder. He's been better than Marte. He's been better than Canna. He's worth a speculative ad while the polar bear heals up. Because uh, it. it I I don't think there's a better candidate at DH for hitting because Vogelbach has been terrible, Vientos has been terrible. I I still look at him as a weak side platoon guy, and his numbers mostly support that. But he did hit a huge home run off of uh, righty on Thursday, and against righties, in spite of his subpar production, he still has a 214 ISO 
and a 12.2% walk rate, which means he's hitting for power, and he's getting on base, which means he can steal bags. In 119 plate appearances, 119 plate appearances, he's got six home runs and five seals. Yeah, that's that's some pretty pretty good part-time production. So if he gets more plate appearances, he could give you a really nice boost for a couple of weeks. Absolutely. All right, uh, let's go to the Phillies. Uh, just want to talk about Brandon Marsh here real quick. Uh, he's sitting right at the threshold for us to bring up at 20% roster ship. His K percentage has really left a lot of fantasy managers wanting. Uh, that said, the average is still solid, and he shouldn't be facing quite as many lefties in the upcoming weeks as he has recently. Like he has, He's faced four of six lefties over the past week, and he his splits against left-handed pitching are just, just terrible. Um, so upcoming matchups look like he shouldn't be facing quite as many lefties. He should see a decent uptick in production uh, simply based off platoon splits. Uh, so I'd eye that up as a potential add. Um, and then going to Washington, Schwebzy, you have Luis Garcia once again, a perennial person that we bring up on the pod. Yes, uh, I, I mentioned that he's like Yuli Gurriel in that he's just there for volume and batting average. I talked last week about how there is a little bit of power upside here more than a guy like Uriel. So, yeah, I mean, we, we talk about it every week. I feel like a broken record. I'm surprised he's available in this many leagues. Uh, Garcia is worth rostering, I think, anywhere where you have middle infielders. Yeah, I think I'm, if I'm choosing between the two, I take Garcia here, but they're both valuable as long as they're oh, the batting average. So, so easy. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's go to the NL Central. Uh, Shrubsy, talk about Ben Lively. We have a few Cincinnati Reds to plow through here. Yeah, Uh Lively had a, is coming off a two-start week, and he shut out Boston, I think, over 5.1, and that's not an easy assignment. But then he, in what is an easy assignment, he gave up five runs to Milwaukee. But he still pitched seven innings in that Milwaukee game, and he wound up striking out 11 across the two starts. Honestly, if you started Lively for that two-start week, I, I think you take that. The ratios aren't the best, but they're not terrible. Like, he didn't kill you. But his next starts are against St. Louis and Houston, both on the road. And, I mean, the, the road is better for him, given that he pitches in Cincinnati. But I'm probably not going to be in on him for those two starts because St. Louis and Houston are pretty intimidating offenses. Yeah. Although, now, now, well, now that an- I think about it... Anecdotally, he struck out eight the last time he faced the Cardinals. And now, now that I think about it, Houston might be down Jordan Alvarez. They will be. And... They only have one, because he's Ben Lively's a righty, right? Lively's a lefty. Is he a lefty? Am I crazy? Oh, no, no, he's a righty. No. I'm mixing him and Abby up. He's a righty, okay. No, so I was going to say, uh, with Lively, uh, now with Jordan Alvarez out of the lineup, I know that it doesn't really matter that much for Alvarez, but they only have one lefty in that lineup, and Kyle Tucker, and that's it. Yeah, might, might I mean, not be may... the worst. I'm not saying it's great, but it might not be the worst. Um... Yeah. yeah, so maybe maybe a desperation start. But elsewhere in Cincinnati, uh, I mentioned Abbott. Uh, Andrew Abbott is a lefty. He's already rostered in over 20% of leagues, which I'm kind of surprised by. Mm-hmm. But uh, given the ballpark and the lack of overwhelming stuff, I'm not like as excited about him as I have been some other recent starting pitcher promotions. But he should get a few more starts now that Graham Ashcraft is hitting the IL. Uh, I, I expect him to get at least three more turns through the rotation. And 
he will also be getting St. Louis and Houston. So yeah. if you're if you're willing to run lively out there, I, I think Abbott's probably more talented than you'd also be comfortable running Abbott out there. Uh, and this is just a PSA. Check your waiver wire just in case Ellie De La Cruz is still out there. He's already rostered in a genu- genuinely surprising number of Yahoo and ESPN leagues. Uh, I, I actually can't believe how widely he's already rostered. But if you're in a league with bad league mates, go go check if uh, Ellie De La Cruz is still out there. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Love it. Um, all right. The only person that I really wanted to cover for the Reds was uh, Kevin Newman, 2% rostered. Um this is another one kind of in the vein of like Luis Garcia and uh, Yuli Gurriel, someone who's got a really good batting average floor. Uh, the offensive composition between uh, Matt McLean and then also Ellie De La Cruz has improved ahead of him in the lineup. And the positional versatility that he has means that as long as he's healthy, he should be accumulating plenty of at-bats. So I think it's a fine option if you need someone to fill in at a couple different positions on your squad uh, for a short period. Kevin Newman's a fine pickup. Um and we're going to go to Milwaukee. Um, I have something queued up for this. Um, and we're going to talk about Julio Tehran. And the only thing that I really have to say is... He can't keep getting away with it! Are we allowed to do that? He can't keep getting away with it! Uh, and that's it. So, uh, the velo isn't there. The wheels are going to fall off eventually. And also, like, if you're looking to stream him in, like, a good matchup for maybe getting a win, I really don't trust the Brewers' offense as a whole to contribute enough to nab you that win all the time because uh, they're pretty hit and miss. Um, I will say, though, that when looking at his Savant page, the deployment of his curveball to right-handed batters and change-up to left-handed batters has been really, really effective so far this year. Both of those are allowing, like, super, super minimal uh expected uh batting averages and just batting averages in general so he's doing a good job of locating those pitches and stealing strikes uh inducing weak contact so he might be okay um but really only as a stream in the most favorable of matchups that's pretty much it um all right let's go to pittsburgh and jack sawinski i am simply trying to figure out what sawinski has against me personally where he only plays well when i bench him on my team same but He's got a lot of righties of questionable quality coming up on the schedule. He's seeing, you know, the Mets trio of McGill, Sanga, and Carrasco. Uh, he he gets Tyone, who's been terrible this year, Adrian Hauser, who is perpetually mid, and Julio Teran, who you just mentioned. I I think so. Sawinski could have a solid stretch of the of over the next ten days or so. I'm I'm definitely gonna be throwing him out there he's only seeing i think one lefty over the next 10 days or so uh yeah yeah i i think he's he's gonna be uh he's gonna be getting smiley in, in chicago but other than that should be a solid string of iffy righties and then on the pitching side of things there's the uh pitching version of jack Sawinski in johan oviedo who only pitches well when he's on the bench oviedo gets a polar bearless mets team and then Milwaukee. So I love his next two starts, and I'm adding him wherever I can. I swear at some point this year, he's going to throw together like a killer few weeks or a killer month. The stuff is there. He's just so inconsistent with the command. He's walking a lot of players lately, so the whip has been terrible, but he's also put up a 2.57 ERA and 25 strikeouts over his last 28 innings. 
against weak offenses, I think you start him every time and you just close your eyes and pray for one of his two walk days instead of one of his five walk days, yeah. which he, he has done a couple of times lately. Yeah, I mean, the, am I remembering correctly? Is Oviedo a lefty? No. He's not. Dang it. I'm thinking of someone else. Um, now I'm going to be stuck on trying to figure out who I'm thinking of. But uh, yeah, the Milwaukee offense, pretty anemic. Uh, the Mets become much worse without Pete in the lineup. Still much better than the Brewers, but uh, that's a decent set of streams for sure. Um, I like that a lot. All right, let's go to the NL West, starting Colorado. Talk about Ezekiel Tovar real quick. So he's an average bat, but it it is one that plays in cores for half of its games and is still valuable. And he has been steadily improving as the year has gone on, it feels like. Um so if you have a set of starts where you're gonna have him at home, he does perform better there, as do many hitters. Uh I would be fine in certain situations streaming him in those starts. Um the other person though that I'm more interested in as a hitter for the Rockies is Nolan Jones. Um, He's already put up some really elite exit velocities in a really short sample so far this year, and I might be super on board for this. Um, He's a strong side platoon guy, probably, uh, which puts like light limitations on his upside, but he should get reps at first base and outfield. So dual eligibility could be a real benefit moving forward. So I do like Nolan Jones for that reason. Um, Nice corner infield outfield. Uh, eligibility there uh and then shrubs you had a couple pitchers that you wrote down here chase anderson and connor siebold yes uh anderson and siebold both get two starts away from coors field this week so you should totally start them given how good they've been right yeah no no Wait, what? bad jordan <laughs> the, the the two ga- being, the two I was, games I was, that being, uh, I, be, I was being a submissive and uh obedient co-host and leading you into your yeah, point you, yes were you yes ending me? Were we improving? Uh, well, the, the games that uh, that Chase Anderson and Connor Seabold will pitch are going to be against the fourth and sixth highest scoring offenses in baseball. So that is going to be the hardest of passes for me. Um, I didn't. I'm, I'm stupid, so I didn't write down who they were. Uh, it's going to be uh, Boston, who are the sixth highest, and Atlanta, who are the fourth highest scoring offense in baseball. So even though it is away from the unfriendly confines, of course. I am not, I would never, I'm not running them out there. Mm -mm. Don't like it. Uh, All right, let's go to the San Diego Padres and Gary Sanchez. Uh, I stashed Gary Sanchez in a couple leagues early in the year, hoping that a team would nab him, and then he would just, like, start accruing, like, some solid plate appearances as a second catcher, and the longer that I waited with him sitting on my bench without a squad, the dumber I felt. Now he gets picked up, the Padres grab him, and he's hit multiple home runs, and I feel dumb again because I don't have him on any of my teams. Um Although I, it was the right move to stop wasting that roster spot. Um, I think he's definitely worth the pickup as a second catcher in that kind of league, so I would go for it. Um, speaking of second catchers, going to the Giants and Patrick Bailey, uh, he fits that bill perfectly. He's been barreling the ball at a really, really solid rate so far this year, and his hard hit rate is also ranking way up there. The strikeout rate is north of 30, and he's only walked, I think, one time so far this year in the majors um i don't think that's really gonna last though he was a double digit walk rate guy at literally every level of the minors there's gonna be some positive regression with that walk rate so i think there's gonna be some improvement uh that we can still see from patrick bailey so i don't mind nabby kim as a second catcher either um the plate appearances are there enough that he should be able to provide you value all right 
So moving on to the American League. Yes. We got a couple of Boston pitchers who we, we've mentioned a couple of times at this point. Uh, Garrett Whitlock still has not quite rounded into form yet, but I trust the stuff. And he gets Colorado on the road, which is generally good. Uh, so for, for those who, who don't really know about the Coors effect, Coors hitters are most impacted in the immediate days following uh, a road trip. Uh, sorry, the immediate days following a, a homestand. Correct. So like Colorado players tend to be worse in the day or two after uh, leaving Colorado. Garrett Whitlock gets Colorado on their third day of a road trip. So it's not the best rocky road situation, uh, but I still do, you know, it's still not a strong offensive team. So I, I like Whitlock in that spot. And you wanted to talk about uh, a player that we, we literally argued before about who had the, the bigger crush on this player. Oh, I, did, I didn't argue that you might have a bigger crush on him. I just argued that we both have brought him up at different times. Okay, you just wanted to firmly establish that we are both crushing. Yes, exactly. Not, okay. not, I'm not pre- this, this is a uh, polygamous baseball relationship with Cutter Crawford that we have. We, we can, we can I, both I appreciate. I, I appreciate yes, that. So, uh, but no, Cutter Crawford, I was really bummed when he got relegated to long relief innings out of the pen. Um, and honestly, aside from like his very first outing of the year, which was absolutely abysmal, I know, Schwebze, you brought this up before too, he had gave up seven earned runs against the Pirates. Crawford, so far this year, between his long relief role and starts, has a 2.2 ERA and 32.2 innings, while walking like 1.1 batters per nine. He's been really, really great so far this year. And I really wish they would just like leave him in the rotation. I don't know what his innings were like. I actually forgot to look at what his innings were like the past couple of years. It just could be a workload thing that they don't want to do it. But I mean, from a quality innings perspective, like Crawford's awesome. And this is a guy who's a Sparp too now. So love a Sparp. Sparp. Big Sparp boys here. Uh, But yes. All right. Let's go to the Yankees and Clark Schmidt Schwebzy. His next two starts are against Boston, so these are iffy for me. Sure. Uh, Boston actually has a pretty strong lineup against righties. And given Clark Schmidt's tendency to give up dingers and his iffy platoon splits, I I don't think I'm adding or starting Clark Schmidt for the next week or so. So if he's out there, you can let someone else add him and then drop him after he gets lit up by Boston at least once. Perfect. All right, uh, let's go to the Tampa Bay Rays. We got two players here. I'm going to talk about Luke Rayleigh, 16% roster ship. He has a 55.4% hard hit rate and an 11.8% barrel per plate appearance percentage, which is absolutely stupid. The only players that have a better rate with both of those this year, or like rank at like both of those levels, Aaron Judge, Jake Berger, Corey Seager, and Matt Chapman. We love Jake Berger. We love Jake Berger on here, but also like Judge Seeger Chapman. That's like stupid good company. If you have a 15 plus team daily lineup league, get him so that way you can take advantage of how often he gets platooned. But yeah, it, he's awesome. He's been amazing this year. Uh, and then Shrubsy, you also have Jose Siri here, someone that we have talked about frequently on the pod. Yeah, I simply just copy paste what I say about him every week. His per plate appearance stats are unreal. Yep. 
and he is worth the headache of tracking lineups and playing him whenever he's in the lineup. Uh, unlike Rayleigh, so Rayleigh basically plays every day against righties. Yeah. Like, 100%. Uh, Siri is not so cut and dry. He gets benched just seemingly at random. But, so, it, you, you do need to really stay on top of it. It's not as easy as, oh, there's a lefty plug in the righty. Yeah. It, you, you have to pay more attention than that. But, when he's playing, it's it's worth it. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go to the AL Central. And the White Sox, the only person I'm going to talk about is someone I just mentioned talking about Luke Rayley. That's Jake Berger. He's the second in the league in barrels per plate appearance percentage only to Aaron Judge. He murders the baseball and he's being platooned and it makes me so angry. I understand that like maybe that's for the best in some senses, but if you have a guy who is obliterate, obliterating the ball with that much frequency, he should be in the lineup every single day without question. Yeah, he's, he's got one of the five hardest hit balls in all of baseball he's this number year. two i think behind yeah. uh matt olson it's matt olson then him just stupid. unreal um i don't know what the white Sox are doing uh all right let's go to the cleveland guardians and will brennan schwebzy will brennan does not walk he does not strike out and he is very slapdick he is a classic cleveland guardian but the exciting thing here is that he's got five barrels on the year which is a low number but three of them have come in his last 19 plate appearances with his contact skills. If he starts hitting the ball with any sort of authority whatsoever, he suddenly becomes a really interesting bat. Like, uh, I, I want to say like a potential Harold Ramirez here. I'm speculatively adding him where I can. Perfect. All right. Uh, what about the Detroit Tigers? You got Matthew Boyd and then Reese Olsen both here. Schwebs. Yeah, we say all the time how there aren't a lot of strikeouts to be found on the waiver wire at this time of year, but with Arizona and Minnesota coming up, Boyd should be a nice strikeout arm in the coming days. But you have to keep in mind there is major ratio risk anytime you're running Matt Boyd out there. So that's not a chance that I'm taking, but if you need strikeouts, this is an arm to target. And then Reese Olsen is interesting, but the matchups stink. Uh, I'm not adding him at this point in time, even though he is interesting, unless I'm just stashing. He gets Atlanta next, and I, I would consider him at Minnesota for the start after that, but I'm definitely not going to be running him out there against Atlanta. I think we and, I think we should start calling um, all pitchers that are severe ratio risks uh, Schwebzy tweets. Ouch. <laughs> I love you. I'm sorry. Uh, get, getting 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 ratioed would require people actually interacting with my tweets. So I'm actually I, I disagree. It's the algorithm. Blame the algorithm. I blame I blame Elon Musk. That's fair. But uh Kansas City. <laughs> Zach Zach Granke gets a two step at home against Cincinnati and the Los Angeles Angels, which I think that's a pass for me. But I do understand wanting to take that chance. Granky has been a really solid starter since the calendar turned to May, especially as a ratios arm. And the ballpark is fantastic. Uh, Kansas City is a, is a cavernous ballpark. But I feel like Cincinnati is kind of scary right now with their influx of young talent. And the Angels are always a strong offense this year. So I don't know. I uh, This is kind of like a... a you know, you start at your own risk. There's there's some upside here, but the upside isn't that high. Yeah. 
the the risk is scarier than the upside is high. I know you asked me if I would do this, and I thought about it for a little bit because they are both at home, and I said no. I don't think I want to do it. Um, yeah. Same, so same same, right. same page. So moving on to the NL West, the AL West. We mentioned earlier that Jordan Alvarez is hurt. Jordan, who do you think benefits here? This is hard because it's a left-handed hitter getting taken out of the lineup. They have no left-handed bats on that bench. Your guess is as good as mine. I know that Corey Jokes has been DHing a decent amount. Yander Diaz has gotten in there as well. Maybe it's Dubon. I don't know what they do or how they shift things around. Um, Dubon feels like the safest bat, uh, but there's very little upside in terms of power. I don't know. I feel like it's going to be all three of them kind of splitting his splitting Jordan Alvarez's meal. Um. I, I, I yeah. really don't know what's going to happen here. It sounds about right. Um, if I had to choose between the three, probably Mauricio Dubon. Just because the Ben average floor is super high, and I don't have to necessarily feel super bad about that. Because uh, I know that uh, Jokes has been kind of like meh. Uh, Yiner Diaz has been kind of meh, even though they both maybe have a bit more power upside. But yeah. So moving over, moving over to the Angels, uh, Griffin Canning is your classic terrible starter. To ter- <laughs> to, to, <laughs> no, in. Your, your, your classic terrible fastball, decent other stuff streamer. He's got good, uh, terrible fastball, good changeup and slider, and the changeup and slider have been pretty dope lately. There is something here. I, I roster him in a couple of leagues myself. And then Jaime Berea, my, is, I think he's better than I've given him credit for. He's got a 24% strikeout rate with surprisingly strong contact suppression skills. And he goes 50% sliders and the slider is doing serious work. Like, I think it's, I I think there is something there. And going back to hitters, Joe Adele's back. Do you think Joe Adele can obtain the powers of Kelnick and be good for a month before his 35% strikeout rate dooms him? I don't know, but he hit an absolute missile in his first game back, so... He hit, he hit a ball off of uh, Drew Smiley so far. But yeah, uh, Joe Adele it might might be a good power bet. Um, probably not. I, I think I'm done with Adele. Like, I don't roster Kalnick anywhere. I'm not going to roster Adele anywhere. I don't think they have good enough bats of ball skills to be good long term. And we're going to wrap up in Oakland. Yeah, uh, I just want to touch on Ryden Noda really quick. Uh, he barrels the ball with regularity and walks a, a lot, like north of 20%. Uh, He does also strike out a whole lot. Uh, He could finish the season as like a 20 home run, five stolen base bat. He has, even though he only has like 50th percentile sprint speed, stolen a few bags this year um, and end up with like, I don't know, like 250, 410, 500 slash line. And there is a very, very tiny chance he gets outfield eligibility for next year, not this year. Um, But yeah, I think Noda is borderline must roster in OBP leagues. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And then uh, J.P. Sears, I, I'm starting to think that Sears is your classic Oakland A's home road streamer. You start him at home, you bench him on the road, the old reverse cores. But he's uh, uh, like uh, like Boyd, he's a, a bit of a ratio risk, but a decent strikeout arm, which are not too common on the waiver wires. All right, and that'll be it for this week's episode of In the Deep. Thank you all so much for joining us once again. We appreciate it. If you like the show, be sure to leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us on our shared podcast account at In the Deep PL. You can also follow Schwebzy and I individually. 
Uh, that's Schwebzi for Schwebzi, S-H-W-E-B-S-I, and Bunt Singles for myself. And we will be back next week with another episode. Schwebzi, send them out. Bye, friends. Thank you.